Amen. When you say that, you're saying, let it be so. So I'm thinking in my head, yes, please. Like, God, speak to us through your word right now. Because what we just sang, oh, praise his name forevermore. That word, forever, that matters to our understanding of Hebrews today. That this is like Easter morning kind of stuff. If Jesus really is alive right now, today, then when you're singing, you're not just singing your favorite song. You're not just trying to drown out the person behind you who's a little off key. You're actually singing to Jesus right now. And that person behind you is me, so I'm sorry. (laughs) Forever, if he always lives. In fact, that's really, as we've looked at Melchizedek the last couple of weeks, all these pieces that are coming together, right? Like he told us, I got a lot to tell you about Melchizedek if you're willing to listen. So we listened. And a key piece of that is, on, on one hand, if you're worried that Jesus can't be high priest because he's not a Levite, hey, what about Melchizedek? Oh, he wasn't a Levite. There's a better priesthood. Okay. But he always attaches to that that Jesus is a high priest forever from a priesthood that is beyond anything Levitical. In fact, I want to jump in. We're going to finish Hebrews chapter 7 today. So go ahead and open your Bible or or pull it up on your app, however it is that you like to just follow along. I'm going to read chapter 7, starting with verse 18. Listen for the word better and the word forever. It says, For on one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, and this next part, I bet you've almost got this memorized even if you didn't memorize it just from reading through Hebrews. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, kind of like, by the way, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So incredibly practical, right? You want to know why there have been so many priests for so many years, for so many centuries? Because they all keep dying. Death kept them from being the priest forever. Extremely natural, right? But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's, For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Now as we take this passage in, one of the things I've noticed in the book of Hebrews, we were just chatting about this in the hallway this morning, I think every time I read the chapter, then I say, what in the world? It takes me multiple readings, and one of the things that happens in our passage today is it's almost like a summary of chapters 5 and 6, and like an outline for 8 through 10. So some of the stuff today, you might feel as it goes by, like, wait, hold on a minute, what? 
Don't worry, it's coming back in more detail in the coming chapters. But that helps us kind of get a grip on what he's trying to do here because now he's shifting from the priesthood to the covenant. So you notice right away in verse 18, the first verse we read, think about how offensive this would be to first century Jews who had been told for like generations about the covenant, the sacrifice, the temple. Oh yeah, okay, so for on the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Excuse me? Like, for them, their Bible is the Old Testament. That word, testament, means covenant, same word. Did he just say annul? Did he just say weak and unprofitable? How dare you, <laughs> right? Like, what is he really saying here? Because the next thing he says then is, well, it, it made nothing perfect. See, that's critical. Because what he's saying is, God's purpose for you as a person who's made in his image, his desire is for you to be made perfect. But the law couldn't do it. So that's the sense in which it is weak and unprofitable. No amount of rules could make anything perfect. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. You see, what he's saying here is that you're familiar with the rules, right? You know all of them. You're familiar with the rituals. You know all of those too. And yet, none of it, even though God gave you centuries to work on it, none of it has made anything or anyone perfect. But if you remember that old covenant, the ark, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, the temple, everything was built as a picture of how we can come into the presence of God. How can we draw near to a holy God if we got stuff in us that's messed up? God says, let me show you how. So how do we draw near to God if it's not through rules and ritual? Well, Hebrews is trying to show you today, when he calls that, when he says better hope, he refers to it as a he. Because our better hope is a person. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews is telling you and I, draw near to God through relationship, not through rules or ritual. Do you see that? Do you see how offensive that would be for them? For somebody to come on the heels of Moses and all the laws and all the commandments and all the things, all the priests, all the sacrifices, draw near to God through relationship, not rules and ritual. But that's everything they've heard for centuries. So it kind of begs the question for us, because you may be used to hearing that. You know, as, maybe as a Christ follower in 2021, like you hear all the time, God loves you, and it's about our relationship with God, and it's not about being perfect. And we, we kind of get used to that, and we almost lose track of where this is coming from, because it begs the question for us, then, like, what about the Old Testament then? Is he actually saying to annul the Old Testament? Well, not quite. You've got to listen to what he's actually saying. He's saying that if the rules and the rituals make nothing perfect, then we need to annul them as a way of coming near to God. Right? So take any human being, you, me, at any point in your life, and say... Would you like to be near to God? Okay, sure. Yes, I would. Uh, 
Would you like to know how to do that? Um, sure, yes, I would. Okay, here's a list of rules. Here's a list of rituals. If you ever miss one of these, you can't be near to God, and if you ever miss one of these, you can't be near to God. Got it? <sighs> I'll try. Yeah, good luck. I mean, that's the picture here. So when, when they would think of the Ark of the Covenant, they knew part of what was inside there was these. You know what these are? These are the rules. <laughs> right? The Ten Commandments that God gave his people. Now, would you say that we're going to annul thou shalt not kill? Not a big deal anymore, right? Didn't we annul the... Well, of course not. <laughs> right? Like, obedience still matters. God's moral code still matters. But if you held these up and said, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, I think I got this. I'll be right there, God. Right? If you think you're going to draw near to him by doing this perfectly, yeah, and I got a surprise for you. <laughs> Even the Apostle Paul says in one of his New Testament books that when he took out the Ten Commandments, he starts going down the list and he's checking them off like, yes, yes, yes. He says it's when he got to the last one. Thou shalt not covet. Oh, man. And then now that he's being honest with himself, he looked back over the entire thing and realized, I've broken all of them. The Apostle Paul. Which is why he also wrote in Galatians 3.24 that the law was a tutor to point us to Christ. You see, when Hebrews owns that the law never made anybody perfect, that there's nobody in this room, on this planet, in the history of the world, or coming in the future, who can hold up God's perfect standard and say, done! Every one of us has to pick that up and realize, uh-oh, I'm going to need some other way to draw near to God because I didn't do this. I'm going to need some other way to draw near to God because now that I look at it, I need forgiveness. And so what Hebrews is saying is it's annulled as a way to draw near to God, but it's not as if God attempted the law and realized it's just, oh, that was a bad idea. I shouldn't have done that. Instead, what he's telling us is it's not as if it, the law is how it was and then Jesus is how it is now. What he's been unpacking, and he will for the next few chapters, is that Jesus is how it has always been. The law was just a shadow, just a copy, just a tutor to point us to the need for that forgiver, for that once-for-all sacrifice. Jesus is how it has always been. And when he came, he revealed that to us. So if you ever pick up your Bible and you think to yourself, well, I don't really read the Old Testament because that doesn't, I don't think that really applies to us anymore. You know, like we're, we have Jesus now and so I like to read the New Testament. It's, it seems like it says more stuff about love and please don't skip the Old Testament. <laughs> For sake of time, I will cut this really short. I should have said I'll leave it out, but I'm going I'm to tell you really quick. Here's the kind of stuff you're missing if you skip the Old Testament. If you think it's just a list of names and a list of rules, you got to spend more time in there because some of what happens is you guys will get this. Remember in our series, we actually talked about him in Jonah and Amos, this king called Jeroboam, who builds two giant golden calves and tells everybody, look, it's God. And they say, okay. And from then on, every evil king is like compared back to Jeroboam. You know why they're evil? Because they're like Jeroboam. 
Okay, you read through 1 Kings, right before that, God sends a prophet to Jeroboam who says, I will give you a dynasty as great as that of David, if you follow me. In the next chapter, he makes two golden calves. Like, what in the world went wrong in between, and how do I avoid that? You see, it's so much more than rules and ritual. This book, from cover to cover, is God revealing himself to us. This is how you get to know God, that if he wrote a book and he chose these pages, no more, no less, what did he say? And why did he say that? What is it telling me about him? What is it telling me about myself? And how does it help us as we shift from rules, I got to live up to it before I come to God, I got to live up to it, and then hopefully God will accept me, to relationship. You see, that kind of message, that's a tailor-made message for the audience of Hebrews. It's exactly what they needed to hear. And even though we don't have all the priests and the bloody sacrifices and the sheep and the goats and all of these things, I think it's for us too. And I saw this in the life of a friend of mine over the last couple of years because my buddy Colin got baptized about a month ago. And I I love his story and and just kind of hanging out with him through this journey Because Colin first came to Horizon, he would just tell you, not a follower of Christ. In fact, his brother, who was a Christ follower, invited him to come here, invited this whole family. So Colin started coming to the exploring service, which if you don't know, is basically, it's after this one, it's at 11 o'clock, bite-sized pieces of scripture, so that if you invite a family member like Colin or a friend or a neighbor, instead of like, in the middle of Melchizedek, you know, we'll we'll give them bite-sized pieces of scripture to try to just get a clear picture of what is God's message and who is God, who is Jesus, a way to comfortably connect. And we use popular music from the radio that they're familiar with, gives them a chance to hear a song that brings them into that space of forgiveness, hear a song that lets them feel like what it's like to feel lost, you know, whatever, whatever that is for that morning, to bring them to help them draw near to God through Jesus by looking into his word. So this is what Colin starts experiencing. He starts coming to the exploring service. He's hanging out. He's listening. He's got lots of questions, lots of questions. And so Colin and I end up in this this Bible study together, which is one of the things I love here is people who aren't sure they believe the Bible, don't know Jesus yet, willing to explore. If if I'm going to make a choice about Jesus, why not read his biography first? And so we're doing the book of Luke together. And so one day he and I go out for lunch, and you could feel it was, it was exactly this. He's trying to figure out what are the rules I have to follow so that God will let me in. Now, I hope you hear how that's like backwards, right? So we're sitting over lunch, and he's like, well, I just have a lot of questions. I'm like, oh, Colin, that's great, man. We all ask lots of questions. That's part of exploring. And, you know, even if you become a Christ follower, you'll still have questions, and that's just, that's just fun for us to learn together. Well, well, can I ask you some of them? Sure. Okay, well... If I decide to follow Christ, do I have to stop doing this? Um, I mean, well, what's your next question? Well, if I decide to become a Christ follower, how much of this can I do before it's a sin? (laughs) Um, Well, um, all right, you know what? Here's, Here's, I think, what we're missing here. Does obedience matter? Absolutely it does. Do you have any 
desire to obey Christ if you don't even believe in him or trust him for forgiveness? I, I don't know why you would. You see, we draw near to God through the relationship. And then God says, let me show you the fruit of my spirit. Let me show you what it looks like to live in the most blessed way you could even imagine. Let me show what it looks like to have self-control in this area, in this area, and to begin to see how God's plan for your life, obedience to your king, is better than anything you could have imagined. And instead of, which rules do I follow so God will accept me, it's God accepts me through Christ. Man, I want to live for him. And Colin would tell you that now. I, I sort of spoiled it by telling you he got baptized a month ago. <laughs> but Colin became a follower of Christ. And he's still asking questions. And he's still growing. But he would tell you the difference is that now he's got the relationship. So instead of asking me what rules he ought to follow, he can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, because you're my king, what does it look like today to honor my wife? Today to be more patient at work. Today to glorify you. You see, Hebrews wanted that to get through to his audience. In fact, that's why, you know, back in verse 20, he's going to use that verse about Melchizedek again. And in fact, that verse, he's quoting Psalm 110, verse 4. There are over 2,000 verses in the Psalms, but he's quoted this one verse five times already in the book of Hebrews. He says, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath... For they, the human priests, they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now because that's true, he says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. All right, so this is, this is bold, this is offensive, right? Like he's telling them, we're going to annul that one, Jesus has a better one. And, and if you're a first century Jewish person you're saying prove it right that's why he took all that time on Melchizedek because he wants them to know not only is it like sort of okay to think about Jesus it's like the only option because when he says that Jesus is the surety of a better covenant that word surety appears one time in the New Testament and it's right here and whenever you see that, you got to think to yourself that he's like, what, what is the word I can use that will like, just make this so abundantly clear? Because I already said promise, and I already said oath. I said them like 17 times in chapter 6. I need something else. You know, you get out that, that New Testament Greek thesaurus, surety, that's the one. Because what that means is that Christ himself is the guarantor. Right? He is the one who follows through on the guarantee of this new covenant. Because the new covenant, Christ says, is in his blood. That when he died, he paid the penalty for, for sin to bring forgiveness. That when he rose again, he conquered death. That his covenant with you is that if you trust Christ as forgiver, he saves you. And when it says that he's the surety, what that means is that he is answerable to God the Father to fulfill that covenant. So which of these things would you like to hear? That you are answerable for all of the rules perfectly or that Jesus is answerable to anchor you in the Holy of Holies? When I look at this, I'm thinking, I cannot live up to my own standard for 24 hours, let alone God's standard forever. 
But Jesus says, come to God through me and I will be the surety of a better covenant. Guys, that message is tailor-made for a first-century Jewish audience. He knows exactly who he's talking to, exactly how to approach it. That's part of what makes it feel so strange to us because we're so far removed from that. But he says, you know what? My friends, my neighbors, my family, they're Jewish. They know the sacrifices. They know the rules. How can I get through to them? Meet them on their turf and use it to explain who Jesus is. That is everything that we're doing here at Horizon. Like everything we're doing is to have that fine-tuned of a tailor-made approach to our friends, our family, and our neighbors. Because guess what? If when I say our, I mean us Christ followers, I wasn't always us Christ followers. There was a time where somebody approached me on exactly the level and exactly the way that I needed to hear it so I could understand who is God, who is Jesus, and, and so what? What does that have to do with me? If you sit here this morning as a Christ follower, somebody did that for you. If you sit here this morning and you're not, we are all on this journey together and we all want to be like the book of Hebrews, taking a tailor-made, customized approach to every person that God wants to draw to himself. That's why we do our services the way that we do. That's why we do the events that we do. And in fact, that's why I'm going to tell you about one specific event just for the ladies. So guys, tune out if you want to, if you haven't already, but <laughs> I'll tell you about the guy stuff in a couple of weeks. You'll, you'll hear it. It's coming. But ladies, this Thursday, 7 p.m., we're bringing Beth Guckenberger in to speak. She's a friend of Horizon. She's a great storyteller, just a winsome personality. Um, she's one of those, like, she's never met a person that isn't like her new best friend. But the reason we're bringing her out is because this is the kind of event that you can invite a friend, a family member, a neighbor who may be open or curious about these kinds of things. We're really, we're, we're calling it Start With Amen, which is the title of a book that Beth wrote. And the purpose for the evening is just to sort of explore what does it look like to talk to God? Like even pray can sound like this big word, like what, what am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to say it? I don't have to do it out loud, do I? So I'm telling you, if you come to this, you will enjoy this. But I'd encourage you, don't come alone. Bring a friend, bring a family member, bring a neighbor, bring somebody that you care about that you think, you know what, maybe this is part of the tailor-made message just like the book of Hebrews uses that God might use to connect to that person. Maybe they discover the surety of a better covenant like he's describing here. Because he goes on then in verse 23, some of this is, is where he's recapping some of the things we've seen, right? He says that, that also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, right, here's the contrast, here's what makes Jesus better, because he continues forever. He continues forever. So he has an unchangeable priesthood. Like, how great is this, you guys? Think about it. Every day you're going to the priest and doing a sacrifice. But first he had to sacrifice for himself. And even if that goes well for 40 years, then he dies. Now who do you go to? You need a better priest. And then you look at that covenant and you think, I need a sacrifice every day. And you do the sacrifice and it's like, there, you're forgiven. Hopefully that makes you perfect. And 24 hours later, you're back with another sheep and 
I need another sacrifice. Okay, there, you're forgiven. Hopefully that makes you perfect. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> then 24 hours later, the priest has to sacrifice for himself again. He has to sacrifice for the others again because once again, it made nobody perfect. And then he dies anyway and you need another priest. But Jesus continues forever. Therefore, his priesthood is unchangeable. And then I love this. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. So that's really the second thing I think this chapter is trying to drive home is not only that we've got to come through relationship, but that has to be Jesus. Come to God through Jesus. If you think there's any other priest, any other ritual, any other person who's going to get you into the presence of God, you got a painful surprise coming. There is one way. I know that's offensive, so, you know, hashtag sorry, not sorry, I guess. I don't know what else to say because Hebrews says it. He is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. So if he is the priest who lasts forever, who can give you permanent promises, permanent perfection, permanent forgiveness, and you say, I'll find my own way there, you're back to the rules. You're back to the ritual. You're back to saying, I think I can check all the boxes. It never works. It has made nothing perfect. But God wants something better for you. He's given you a better hope and a better covenant. Come to God through Jesus. In fact, I want you to look at verse 25 again. Verse 25 is one of my all-time favorites in this book, in the whole Bible. And the reason for that is really two phrases. It's that phrase that he's able to save to the uttermost because he always lives to make intercession. I actually knew a song as a kid for this verse, and I'd sort of forgotten it, but gave our CDs to my boys. And they play music every night to help them sleep, and they put it on repeat. So like nine hours later, you know, when I wake up, it's like it's still going. And I walk by their room one morning, and I hear this song of this exact verse playing out their door and it was like it was just one of those things where like you know how the holy spirit sometimes just reminds you of things that you've read you haven't thought about it for years and he says don't forget i said this it it was that moment and i needed it and i think what struck me that he saves to the uttermost And, and you could say yeah but god i i can save to the uttermost but you don't realize how i can save to the uttermost But Lord, it's been a long time. I can save to the uttermost. You see, when he says uttermost, he's talking about the uttermost depths of your failure, of your sin, of your fear, of your anxiety. When he says uttermost, he's talking about from eternity past to eternity future. There is no day where he gets bored. There is no day that he takes a day off. There is no moment that you say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus? He's a forever priest. He is able to save to the uttermost because he always lives. He always lives. Like this is Easter morning kind of stuff, you guys. Think about what that means. That means right now he lives. It means whatever you went through this week, 
Whatever is your frustration, whatever is your celebration, whatever is your regret from this week or from 28 years ago, whatever is your fear about the future, if you say, Jesus, I need you, he says, I'm listening. That word intercession means that he is standing at the right hand of the Father right now for you when you trust him as your forgiver. And, and I want you to picture this the right way because sometimes you hear this and, and maybe you think, you know what it probably is. God knows what a screw-up I am and he's up in heaven like, oh my goodness. You know what, this is why I keep lightning bolts behind the throne of grace. I am sick of Drew. And then Jesus jumps in, no, wait, God, wait, please. Oh, thank goodness he's interceding for me. That's not it. Okay, so if you were writing that down and drawing a lightning bolt, just go ahead, erase that, you know, put a line through that. You see, the picture is, and we've seen this already in Hebrews. When you put your trust in Christ as your forgiver, when you claim him as your king, when you say, I want to obey because I love you, not because I'm trying to work my way in. When he saves you, he anchors you in the presence of God. You draw near through Jesus and he locks you in. And from then on, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. You're anchored in him permanently in the presence of God. That every time God looks at you, he sees Jesus interceding for you. That when you face frustration, celebration, temptation, whatever it is, you say, God, can we talk? And he says, of course. You say, God, I need to confess. He says, I forgive. And you say, God, I need help. He says, that's what my spirit's for. Because he always lives. He lives right now. Jesus is alive right now. When you sing, you're singing to him right now. Like, just let that soak for a minute. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I will give you my spirit who will dwell in you. And God says, I will be with them. They will be my people and I will be their God. He's not waiting for you to get out of horizon to ask you how it went. He's with you. He's here. He's alive right now. I don't know about you, when I hear that, then all of a sudden verse 26 makes all the sense in the world, for such a high priest was fitting for us. Yes, that is the kind of high priest I need. He's holy, he's harmless, he's undefiled, he's separate from sinners, meaning he's not a sinner. He's become higher than the heavens, and he does not need daily as those high priests who offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, and do it all again, daily, daily, daily. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Once for all. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Now again, a lot of this is going to come back in the next few chapters, but catch that phrase, not daily, once for all. For all sins, for all time, what does he mean once for all? 
Hey, why not both? (laughs) I mean, that's the message here. That they're so used to the daily sacrifice, the yearly sacrifice, the rituals. And Jesus said, all of that was a shadow of me. His sacrifice once paid the price for all sin for all time. You see, this is his new covenant. This is him saying, and anyone who comes to me will be forgiven. The only way to miss out on this, don't come to God through Jesus. I mean, it is the most wide open invitation you have ever heard. It is the most inclusive message the planet has ever known that every single person, no matter what they've done, for all time, at all of the uttermost depths of anything, can come to God through Jesus Christ and know this truth once and for all. So I would encourage you, if you have never come to him before, maybe you just need to come to him once. Maybe for that first time. To say, Jesus, I know that I have not kept the rules perfectly. I need a forgiver. And I trust you as my forgiver. And if you've done that, you're a follower of Christ, then maybe... Well, let's say definitely. What's available to you is not just to come to him once and then wait for heaven, but to come to him for all. For all the days of your life. For all of the relationships. For all of the frustrations. For all of the celebrations. For all of the temptations. For whatever you are facing right now. To keep coming to Jesus. To get to know him better. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated a baptism here at Horizon, and I wanted you to see the stories of just um, one of the people who was baptized, Debbie Gatchy. It's been great getting to know her family, Scott, and it was awesome to see her two boys in the water with her. But I think as you hear her story, you'll hear this is a person who knows exactly what it means to move from the ritual to the relationship. Let's watch. This is Debbie Gatchy, and we are her favorite sons. <laughs> <laughs> So, Mom, would you like to tell us what brings you here today? Well, like a lot of people, I think I felt I was a Christian because I went to church every Sunday. And then I started coming to Horizon. (laughs) And that kind of changed everything. I got into a lot of classes, started reading the Bible, uh, listening to Chad and Drew, really making the whole thing come alive for me. Um, And then, you know, you have your life that you live your challenges come along. I've got you know, friends and family that have gone through a lot of really difficult situations. And I just really wanted to know that God, Jesus, is with me through everything. Um, there's a scripture in Isaiah 43, 2, that says, When I go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And I love that. Um, And also, uh, with my faith journey, I've come a long way from where I started here at Horizon. But I learned also that you can accept Jesus Christ anytime in your life. You don't have to be, like, at a certain point. I used to think, oh, gosh, you know, people must be really, really far along in their faith to get to that point where they say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. But in Revelations, it says, look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice, open the door (laughs) and I will come in. So that's what I did. And I want people to know me 
I want people to know me through what God knows me to be, not what Earth knows me to be. And so I'm making a public uh, declaration today to Jesus and my friends and my family that he is my savior. <laughs> um, so we have a few questions to ask you. Um, first, do you believe in God the Father, creator of the heavens and the earth? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and forgives you of your sins? Yes, I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit who lives within you and strengthens you to live the Christian life? 100%. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, baptisms are like the most fun thing that we get to do. Honestly, any church, anywhere, baptisms are like the kingdom at work. And I would encourage you, we're actually having another baptism ceremony a couple weeks from now, September 11th, 10 a.m., it's a Saturday morning, right out here on the terrace. Even if you don't know anybody being baptized, I just encourage you to come and check it out and hear stories just like that. Because there's actually, um, there's actually an entire family being baptized at, at that next baptism. Like Acts 10 kind of stuff happening. And you know what I love about it? That's an entire family who can sing, oh, praise his name forevermore because they know that he always lives to intercede for them. I'm talking to a friend later today whose treatment plan is not matching up to his diagnosis and he wants to talk about what the end of life looks like. But he knows that he is anchored in the presence of God forever, that he can sing, oh, praise his name forevermore because he knows Jesus always lives to make intercession for him. You know, there are kids in East Station down the hallway and in high school and junior high up the stairs who are learning right now this morning that they can sing, oh, praise his name forevermore because he always lives to intercede for them. There are gatherings just like this in Cincinnati, around our country, all over the world. Guys, would you believe there are even gatherings just like this in Afghanistan? where people trust that Jesus Christ has anchored them in heaven forever because he always lives to make intercession for them. That when we anchor in who Jesus Christ is, our confidence allows us to sing, oh, praise his name forevermore. Would you sing with us right now? See you. 
Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, our God, we sing your praise forevermore. Lord, we, we get it that right now, today, is part of forever. And so we thank you for that in Jesus Christ. Lord, I just lift up to you every heart that is here this morning, every heart that is watching online or, or, or even in the future. Lord, every heart that is all over this planet right now seeking you. God, I do just want to pray especially for Afghanistan, that you would protect your people there. And God, that you would remind us, we don't know who else is still there that you want to draw near to yourself. And so we pray that Christ would be known even through this crisis. And God, I just pray for each one of us, whether it is for the first time or for the thousandth time, that we would come to you once and for all because our confidence is in Jesus Christ who always lives for us. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Thank you for singing with us. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.